Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. Special welcome to you this morning that are visitors joining us for this time of Christmas celebration. And perhaps you've heard us already, I mentioned a couple times this Harvest In gathering that we had. And just listen in as I give thanks to the congregation for what happened. We, we saw it as a time to set apart a bit of the bounty that God has given to us. And as we collected foodstuffs, we were able to bring them to two local ministries, the Rescue Mission and the Hope Center, and be a, a shot in the arm during this holiday season. And because of the generosity of this church and because of the generosity of our school, Orville Christian School, we filled up three pickup trucks. We brought one pickup truck full over to the Hope Center and two over to the Rescue Mission, and it was a great encouragement to our brothers and sisters serving on the front lines of some difficult ministries here in Orville. And so I just want to say thank you. And may the Lord be pleased to use it all for his glory and use it as an outreach to hurting people during this time. We heard stories that this is an especially needy season, and this year has been an especially difficult one for many families. If you've not yet had a chance, I encourage you to turn your cell phones to silent or have them off during this time. As we have a time in the Word of God, we don't want to be interrupted by phones going off during the worship service. And a special good morning greeting to those of you joining us online. Thank you for being with us. We're glad to celebrate Christmas with you. And our hope is that wherever you are, you have the Bible open in front of you as we prepare to spend a time in the Word of God. So good morning on behalf of all present here. A number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect hope has on those undergoing hardship. There were two sets of laboratory rats that were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left one set of rats in the water and found that within an hour, they had all drowned. But the second set of rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned back into the tubs. And when that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours before finally they succumbed. Why? Not because they were given a rest, but because they suddenly had hope. Those simple animals somehow figured out that if they could stay afloat just a little while longer, the hope was that someone would reach down and rescue them. And if hope holds such power for such unthinking rodents, how much greater should its effect be on our lives? You know, the world is in an interesting place. Wars near and far. Yes, we hear about the war in, 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 uh, in Iraq. We hear about the war in Afghanistan. We hear about the war in Ukraine. We hear about the war in Israel. But the fact is there are over 600 wars currently going on around the world. We have economic challenges that make even going to the grocery store a daunting affair. We see signs all around us of disintegration in our culture, and it seems to multiply week by week. In our current language, we've invented a term called deaths of despair, of those because of drug overdoses or because of despair commit suicide at higher rates. Adding to the traumas that we talk about, good information has been so hard to come by. Where can we find out what is really happening today? Oh, our hearts long for a message of hope. They long for a message of truth to ring out in the world today. And such a message was announced 2,000 years ago. And it's a message that we need to hear again today and proclaim to those around us. 
On that first Christmas morn, oh so long ago, hope was born, truth was personified, and light shone down into the darkness. Thus, it's good for us to be here this morning and reflect anew on the meaning and the message of Christmas. Just a few moments ago, we read the fuller story of Luke chapter 2 as it unfolds the events that happened on that first Christmas morn and evening. But from that fuller passage, we're going to concentrate just on two verses this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I'm going to take a little deeper dive into those two verses and take a deeper look at what God would have for us this morning as we remember and reflect anew on the message of Christmas. And so with that, I invite you to stand as we read God's word in honor of God who speaks to us through the word that he has given us and what a privilege we have to hear from him. Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the inspired word of God says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us receive it for its purposes, for our edification and growth. Please be seated. And let us pray. Father, in these moments we have together, we recognize that unless you're at work in our midst, we just go through an exercise and watch a program. But Father, it is our desire that we would hear from you this morning, and so we pray that you would be the one that would bend our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive, cause our minds to understand. As we hear from the living God this morning, may we walk away knowing that we have met with him as we commit this time into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. At the Evangelical Free Church, we value the value of the Word of God, not only the reading of it, but the intense study of it. And this is what we do Sunday by Sunday as we take a passage from Scripture and go through it and see what God would have for us. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we invite you to do what we normally do, which is to have your copy of God's Word open in front of you and turn to the bulletin that you have, and you can see there's an outline that we will follow. You can follow along in your bulletin. You can follow along on the screen behind me. And you'll see that the lessons that God has for us just fall right out of the text. And so we get to our first major point this morning, which is what is to be announced. Now, as we saw in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, the shepherds were out in their fields keeping watch overnight. There's no break for the work of a shepherd. The flock always needs tending to, even at night. And about two miles from the city of Bethlehem was an area that was called Shepherd's Field. It's a place that you can even visit today, and it is most likely there where the events of Luke chapter 2 took place. It's nighttime, and it is likely that several shepherds have brought their flocks together in a safe area in order to protect them from the cold and dangers of the night. Pulling their sheep together would allow the shepherds to each get a little break in watching the flocks during the night. Those on guard would have to keep watch to protect the flocks from thieves, from poachers, wild animals, the elements of nature, and even from the sheep themselves wanting to wander away. It was hard work. It was necessary work. But because of the type of work that it was, shepherds were considered from the lower class of society. After all, they spent their time with animals that were seen as stubborn, even a bit stupid, and certainly dirty. And because they were dirty, 
these shepherds would be considered unclean and therefore disqualified from entering into the worship in the temple where one must be ceremonially clean to enter in in order to offer the sacrifices. And it just might be that some of the flocks that they were watching were sheep that were being raised that would themselves become sacrifices that would be offered in the temple. And here it was as the shepherds are taking care of the sheep. They can't go in because they're unclean. They need a way to become clean. And it's interesting then that those that were the lowest of society were among the first to hear the message of a great God who was born among them. Have you ever noticed how often God has used shepherds in the storyline of history? His storyline, as he tells the history of redemption from beginning to end, includes people like Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, David. All of them were shepherds at some point. It reminds us that God often looks out for the lowly, the downtrodden, the misunderstood, to reveal his truth and to use them in his service. So if you come this morning feeling perhaps you're a little bit on the fringes of society, perhaps you feel misunderstood, perhaps there's an emptiness in your heart this morning, you're in good company. God sees you. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. He says, cry out to me in your time of need. So as these shepherds are out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, an angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord, we are told, shone around them. And their reaction is one of fear. After all, they're sitting in pitch darkness. Maybe the little bit of light from the fire, and suddenly the heavens are alight with this booming voice that comes down out of heaven. But you know, it's a good thing to be fearful in the presence of God. You see, these angels had just come from God's presence, and the divine glory radiated from them. And it's a response that we see all throughout the scriptures where when people catch a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God, they fall down in fear. And that's the natural response that we should all have because God is great. God is holy. God is high and lifted up. God is worthy of all that we are, and yet we who are unclean can only fall at his feet and say, holy, holy, holy. For our God is the one who is holy, and we are not. We are sinners. And so it is the right response of sinners when they catch the glimpse of God to fall down in fear. One of the problems I think that we have lost in our day today is that we've lost the willingness and the ability to fear God. Another way we would say it is we've lost our ability to blush. We've become so accustomed to sin and the promotion of sin and degrading behaviors that people are involved in that we think that's just the way it is and we forget that we have a holy God who does not play games with sin. And so it's to our detriment that we have a low view of sin and such a high view of ourselves. For it's only when we see the holiness of God, the greatness of God, the fact that God is set apart, he is the judge before whom we will all appear, only as we have a glimpse of his glory and his holiness can we then begin even to grasp a little bit his love that was shown in the sending of his son. So the angel appears to them, and they fall on their faces, and he says, do not be afraid. They need to hear that word, do not be afraid. And that now we'll get into our study this morning as we hear the words, fear not. You see, it is natural to be afraid of God. It is supernatural 
to not be afraid of him, to be able to be invited into his presence and to not be consumed and not be judged. And why is it that these shepherds on that first Christmas night are told not to be afraid and they're given a threefold response and you see it as you follow along in your copy of God's word. Fear not for I bring you good news of great joy. Good news. I bring you good news. This was an expression that was used in the ancient world. When a king ascended to the throne, there was good news. When a king would have a son, there was good news. When there was a great victory in the land, there would be the proclamation of good news. When there was a great victory, I bring you good news. The phrase here in the original language was uangolizomai, which means I evangelize you. I share with you, I make known to you some good news. And for a Christian, it means we make known to others the sharing of the good news of God, saving a people for himself through the grace and mercy shown in his son. And that's how that phrase is used all throughout the gospel according to Luke. Evangelism is the sharing of good news of salvation found in Christ. It's a blessing if you're in Christ this morning. Someone has taken the time to evangelize you, to share with you that there is a God, holy as he is, who can bring sinners into his presence because of the Savior that he has sent, even his Son. And when you heard that message and you repented and believed, you're children of God and you have the privilege of knowing who God is and what the way is out of the trap of the sin of this world. And we're so quick to share good news about getting a promotion at work, about the birth of a child or a grandchild, about the announcement of an engagement or a wedding. So why is it that we're not quick to share the greatest news of all? That God, holy as he is, sent Jesus to be the solution for sinners. Fear not. I evangelize you, and this good news is of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. You notice that there's just great news all around the Christmas story. Elizabeth, barren all those many years, rejoices when she finds out that she will have a son. And not just a normal son, as it were, but a son given, as it were, as a miracle who will announce the coming of the Lord, who will be the forerunner, and there is joy. Mary rejoices when she finds out that she will give birth to the Savior. And after the child is born, angels and shepherds rejoice. And on the eighth day, as they bring Jesus into the temple for the normal rituals that would happen under Jewish law, Simeon, an old man, and Anna, an old lady, rejoice as they encounter the Christ child and they realize that God has kept his promise and behold, here is the promise of God and there is joy. And months and months later, the Magi will come and they saw a star shining in the east and they will come and they will bow before the Christ who is no longer just a newborn but is now a toddler, no longer in a manger but now in a house. And there is joy. There's joy all around the Christmas story. In his novel, Cat's Cradle, the author, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., brings a book to light that's part of the story. And the book is entitled, What Can a Thoughtful Man Hope for Mankind on Earth 
given the experience of the past million years. And the chief character is anxious to read the book, for he knows that the history of humanity is bad. And what can a man hope for in light of the history of humanity? And as he opens the book, it does not take him long to find it, for the book consists in one word, nothing. What can a thoughtful man hope for in this world? Nothing. For that's what the world can give. Its joys and pleasures and treasures are fleeting. And the human heart longs for more. And that more can only be satisfied in the promise of the Christmas message. Yes, there is joy around the Christmas story. That's the way it is when God acts. When he acts, there is joy. And so here we have the angel who appears to these shepherds in the darkness of night. When in fact, that was the condition of the human heart, cold and dangerous. And the the light and the truth appeared. Because of sin and rebellion, when all was swirling against God, the light shone and said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy and the promise of deliverance. And what could be greater than deliverance that comes from sin and death and the entanglements of the devil? Hope has come. Salvation is available. The coming of Christ into this world is truly good news of great joy, which brings us to our third point, for all the people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, initially, this would mean the people of Israel. After all, they had been promised for centuries that the Messiah would come, and they longed for his appearing. And during centuries of anguish and languishing, they waited for the Messiah to come. And in the plan of God, the gospel had to come first to them because they were the first recipients of the promise given through Abraham that they would have descendants that would outnumber the stars of the sky. The Apostle Paul understood this as a saved and converted man who was Jewish, who was a scholar of the Old Testament, but writing to Gentiles in the Roman Empire, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And so the gospel was first announced to these Jewish shepherds, but it would not remain there. From that first proclamation, it would go out to all kinds of people and all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of nationalities to all kinds of life, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, men and women, free and slave, highly educated and barely educated. We see this emphasis everywhere in Luke's gospel, and Paul will affirm it as he writes in the the letter to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, when he said that all who believe in Jesus Christ are the true sons of Abraham, and thus the fulfillment of the promise given to him so long ago. We read his words in Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus Christ, who came as the ultimate seed of Abraham, the ultimate son of God, the ultimate prophet, Messiah, and king, is the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes 
and amen. And so the rallying cry today is the church must take this gospel to the whole world. And truly then, the message of Christmas is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But as you sit here this morning, do you know that good news? It is appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. And if there's a door of entrance into our lives, there is certainly a door of exit. And every one of us will pass through. Are you ready to pass through that door and face God in judgment? Or do you know that you have met the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you called upon him to be the forgiver of your sins, to give you eternal life, to prepare a place for you in heaven? It it is my will and desire that everyone within the sound of my voice this morning would give a clear yes and amen that they know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. What is to be announced? The good news of great joy to all the people. But who is he that is to be announced? And we'll see again, there'll be a threefold pronouncement of the identity of the one who was to come. But let's look at the beginning of verse 11 as we continue through our study through Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day. Now I want you to put yourself in those original hearers. After centuries of waiting, centuries of hoping, centuries of disappointment, suddenly hearing this day and what that would mean. The fulfillment of centuries of hope had finally arrived. That's why we sing during the Advent season as we enter into that longing, come, O long-expected Jesus, born to set the people free. And if the first people or the people of that age longed for the first coming of Christ, we who know Jesus Christ and long for him to receive all the glory due his name, long for his second return to set all things right. But today is the day we have between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Today is the day of salvation. For unto you is born this day on that first Christmas oh so long ago. The heralding of the prophets down through the centuries had come to fulfillment on that day. For unto you is born this day. And we hear the word is born and we think of another great promise. We go back to the prophet Isaiah writing seven centuries before Christ who gave a promise that said, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the one who was to be born, and he was born unto us. It was not unto angels that he was born, it was unto men. He was born not to save angels, but to save men. He was not born to make men become angels one day. He was to make fallen men become part of his chosen lot so that they would rule over the angels one day. In popular lore, we say, well, so-and-so died and heaven gained another angel. Categorically false. Men have one of two destinations. Either they're with Christ in the presence of God forever, or they are separated from God forever in hell. We who are in Christ will rule over the angels. We do not become one. And it was to such as us that this son was born And not only was he born unto men, but he was born on that day in the city of David, where the promises had been given oh so long ago, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, that a son 
would come from Bethlehem. And later, as we hear in 2 Samuel, would come through the line of David, a son that would rule forever, have an eternal kingdom. And so here we have the ultimate son of David born in Bethlehem on that day. Born in the city of David, who would become the good shepherd, the good shepherd of his people. Perhaps in those very fields that we know today as shepherd's field. God came to visit the lowly, and in the powerful way he promises, he made to David were fulfilled. He promised that David would have a son who would be king over the people for Israel, but how could that be? Because the direct sons of David, they all died. But the one born on this day in the city of David is the one that could fulfill the promise forever to be the ultimate son of David who would sit on a throne and have an eternal kingdom. And we read about it as we turn to Luke chapter 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. God keeps his promises. And the who that was announced is the one who would be the fulfillment of the prophets given down through the centuries. Well, what is the identity of this one born on that day? First, he is referred to as a savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. A savior can mean many things in many different situations, but the simple definition is a savior is one who saves. A savior is one who rescues, who delivers, who sets free. It can be from physical danger, medical danger, military danger, or more importantly, spiritual danger. And Jesus is the one who came to set us free from our sins. As we look at the organization of this verse, as the writers would put pen to paper, they would prioritize what they wanted to say. And in the Greek language, if you wanted to prioritize something, you would put that word towards the front of the sentence. And I find it interesting here that the word Savior appears before the other words here. It's as if God wants us to understand first and foremost who this one who is to come. And what's even interesting is that this is the only time that the word Savior appears in the gospel according to Luke. That should get our attention. God doesn't have to speak twice. When he says something, it's to get our attention. He's a savior. And then the rest of the gospel simply say, what does a savior do? So here's the announcement that the savior comes. And the rest of the gospel tells us what a savior does, how he saves. That's the good news of Christmas. That unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. And we who are in Christ know that as we've met him and we've been set free from our sins, we've been set free from the condemnation of death and the devil, we also know that there's this ongoing salvation taking place that is purifying us more and more from the effects of sin. But even in that struggle that we have every day, one day we'll be completely set free and with glorified spirits and resurrected bodies sit, be in his presence and dwell with him forever. So this Savior announced by the angel, is greater than any who came before him. Moses was a shepherd who was a type of savior, who delivered Israel out of the bondage of slavery. David was a shepherd who was a type of savior, who delivered the, the Israelites from occupation of the Philistines. 
But Jesus, as the great shepherd, is the ultimate savior who brings deliverance from sin, deliverance from the slavery of death, from the fear of death, from the snare of Satan himself. He's the ultimate savior. But secondly, he is the Messiah. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word. Mashiach is the Hebrew word. We get the word Messiah. They both mean the same thing. A divine title that Jesus was given at birth. The one for whom the Jews had waited for centuries. But they thought they would get a military leader or a political leader. But Jesus came as an even greater Messiah. A greater deliverer. Because he delivers us from sin that separates us from God. He is the Christ who entered into the wilderness of our sin, into the tyranny of the devil, and purchased our victory over sin and death by his perfect life, perfect suffering, and glorious victory in the resurrection. He sets a people free who struggles. You may find yourself struggling this morning. You may find yourself doubting this morning. You may find yourself wondering if there is hope. Whatever the struggle you are facing, you can turn to Jesus and say, my deliverer has come and experience the good news of great joy that is for all the people. And lastly, this son who is to be born is the Lord. A savior who is Christ, the Lord. Think of that word, Lord. The word te- New Testament word here is kurios, which translates the Old Testament word of Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name of God. It means I am the living one. And this is the one who is the Lord. For you see, Jesus didn't come just as a baby like every other baby. He came as a baby, as a man in human, in human form, but as God in the flesh. Truly God and truly man. And thus he alone is able to bring man and God back together in reconciliation. When we announce that the Christ is born, we're announcing that God took on human flesh and came to live among us. It's a mystery that should still cause our hearts to wonder and cause us to look on in awe and reverence. Don't let the repetition of the Christian message dull your heart to the miracle that happened oh so long ago. The what is to be announced was good news of great joy for all the people. But that good news is only good news for those who believe in Jesus Christ. That is to say, those who confess that they're unworthy, sinful, and desperate, and call upon the Lord to save them from death and give them eternal life. He is the Savior of those who believe. My friends, you can believe in him as Savior and marvel at him in his birth. Or you can reject him as Savior and find him as your judge one day. Today you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart and say, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I want you to forgive me. Yes, Lord, give me eternal life. The who is he that is born this day was a savior who is Christ the Lord. And because he is the Lord, he has the right to our obedience, to our devotion, to our lifelong service and worship. We're tempted to turn Jesus into some type of bellhop in heaven who simply answers to our beck and call. 
But he has purchased us with his life and his death. And he has the right to command us. But we find that to be a servant of the living God, to be a servant of Christ, is truly the most freeing thing there is. Allows us to live joyfully and openly before God and before others. So choose wisely, my friends, whom you will serve. And then look at what the shepherds did. They didn't keep it to themselves. They didn't go to Instagram and put a, put a video and say, just met with the Savior. They ran and they bowed down and they worshiped the Christ. There's a commandment that's implied there. But if we have met the risen Christ, the rightful response is to run and worship and adore and give him reverence. In the opening statement of the sermon this morning, I made reference to the current difficulties this world is facing. And while we might be tempted to think that these are unique days, they're not unique days. They're just unique to us. The world has known, always known, difficulty and trouble and trial and tribulation. And the church has faced a difficulty in every generation. But to every generation, we can announce that the light has come and that those who recognize it and know the good news of Christmas are those who have a great inheritance and will meet the Lord one day. In the third century, there was a man who was anticipating death. And as he's anticipating death, he writes these final words to a friend. It is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted and rejected, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. May that be the declaration of your heart today. As the angel of the Lord appeared, he said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Is he your Lord this Advent season? Let us pray. Father, as we contemplate the greatness of the message of the gospel, and as we contemplate the greatness of our sin before you, our hearts are humbled by the greatness of our Jesus who bridged the gap. And so, Father, this morning, as we have seen and as we have heard, may our hearts be touched, may our wills be moved, may our minds be reminded, may our hands respond in worship. Father, we want to please you with our lives. We want to thank you for the message of Christmas and thank you for such a wonderful Savior in whose name we pray.